0: Good morning. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. That is 1 Corinthians 1:18 1, through 25. Uh, and this morning we're going to start a short series that I've titled Who We Are. Who We Are." As I said last week, uh, this congregation kind of feels like a, a replant or, or that a new church has begun. Uh, And with so many changes that have happened so recently and the general feeling of newness for us, uh, I think it's a good time uh, to intentionally refocus maybe on on who we are and why we exist. Right? A lot of things have happened. Uh, We've adopted the uh, 1689 confession. We've amended our church constitution. We are currently working on joining an association of Reformed Baptist churches, which, by the way, probably going to happen within the next few weeks. It's going to be final. Uh, We've changed our name. We've moved into a new building all within the last year. That is a lot, right? And so it's tempting, I think, it's tempting for us to think that we have arrived in some sense, but we haven't at all. The work has actually just begun. Uh, Getting a building means that we now have new headquarters, and all the other changes means that we've um, organized and become more precise in our structure and doctrine. Uh, We've basically just militarized our forces to prepare us for more fruitful and organized warfare, spiritually speaking. And to fight the temptation to think that the work is somehow finished or that we've arrived in some sense as a church, I want us to spend some time focusing on uh, who we are, what we are to do, why this church exists, and what kind of church that we are. Right, and, and, and so to begin, we're going to start this morning with the fact that we are a church that will always strive to keep the cross of Christ at the center of everything. Right, we are a church who keeps the cross, that is the message of the cross, or as our text will say, the word of the cross at the center of all things and especially of our proclamation of the truth. We are a people who will never abandon the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And to drive this point home, we're going to be considering the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. Now, a quick word. In our text this morning, the Apostle was writing to the church in Corinth, and he's speaking about the centrality of the cross in his life and in the message of the church as a whole, right? The life and message of the church. Uh, Paul's point is that the cross is greater than everything, Right? The cross is the display of God's power and wisdom to save sinners. The cross shames all human wisdom. Uh, the cross is the only way of salvation. And the cross, the word of the cross, is what we exist as a church and as individual Christians. The word of the cross is what we exist to proclaim to everyone who will listen. At root, we have no other message. We don't. At root, we have no other message than the word of the cross. The cross of Christ is the center and ground of everything that we are and everything that we do as the people of God. And that's what I want to try to show you this morning from the text. Um, now, a quick word before we jump into this passage, um, just so you guys kind of understand where I'm going and how I'll be structuring this sermon. Uh, we will not be going through every word, thought, and concept in this text. Uh, it's not what we're going to do. Uh, this sermon is going to be more topical than what I usually preach. Uh, so what I'm going to do is look at general truths and themes found in this text that show us why the message of the cross is to remain at the center of every church and every individual believer, right? So it's, it's not going to be like a straight walkthrough like other sermons that I do. I'm looking for big themes of why the cross must remain at the center. Uh, but with that said, if you would and are able now, please stand with me. For the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. First Corinthians chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. The Apostle Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you this morning, grateful for your word And and we're grateful because it is through the word by your Holy Spirit that you are pleased to teach us and sanctify us and reveal yourself and your glorious gospel to us. We ask now that you would be pleased to shower us with mercy and grace so that we can understand, believe, and obey what you have spoken. Enlighten our minds, soften our hearts, strengthen our wills, Glorify yourself in us this morning as we humble ourselves before your holy word. We ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so the Apostle Paul begins our text by mentioning the word of the cross. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Right? And that phrase, the word of the cross, is central to this entire section of Scripture. So we need to know what Paul meant by it. Right? Now, when Paul says word here, he, he's not referring to a single word. He's referring to a message. Right, A word proclaimed. A word preached. And the cross here obviously refers to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he was crucified. So Paul is referring to the Christian message about Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. He's speaking about the proclamation that the church makes about the significance, not just the fact that Christ was crucified, but the significance of Christ being crucified. And now we can consider the cross, or rather the word of the cross, uh, both broadly and narrowly. Uh, Broadly speaking, the word of the cross is simply the message of the whole Bible. Right? It encompasses everything. Right, the, the Testaments are not disconnected, just so you know. The, the Testaments are very much connected. It is one story with Christ at the center. The word of the cross speaks to God's creating the world. God giving Adam federal headship, being the representative over all humanity. It speaks to the fall of Adam into sin and our fall as his posterity in him. The word of the cross speaks to the promise of a redeemer who would be born of a woman, who would set things right and crush the head of the serpent. The word of the cross speaks to all of the promises in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah and King who would one day come and suffer for the sins of the people of God and set things to right. It speaks to God the Son taking on a true human nature in order to be born of a virgin, live perfectly in our place, die a substitutionary death, and be raised on the third day. The word of the cross speaks to salvation being found only through faith in this crucified and risen Christ. The word of the cross, broadly speaking, is the message of all Scripture. And that's because, as I said a minute ago, the cross is the centerpiece of the whole Bible. Everything in Scripture either points forward to Christ's cross or points back to it. Right? Everything in the Old Testament pointed forward to the cross because Christ, again, is the promised seed of the woman who would fix everything, how? By His cross. Every blessing mentioned for the people of God flows out of the cross where Christ purchased for us every spiritual blessing. Salvation comes to us how by the work of christ at the cross every commandment in scripture is is rooted and grounded in gratitude and the change that god has wrought in his people because of christ's work on the cross the promises of future perfection on this earth and the success of christ's church in history flows out of the fact that christ defeated satan and sin and death at the cross The holy character of God is on display at the cross. His justice is displayed at the cross. His wisdom is displayed at the cross. And his great mercy and compassion towards sinners is displayed at the cross. Everything in, I know I'm laboring the point a bit, but everything in Scripture is somehow related to the cross of Christ. And so we can honestly say that the word of the cross is the message of all of Scripture. But we can also speak about the word of the cross in a narrow way, very narrow way, and there we're referring to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified and dying for the forgiveness of sins. The word of the cross is the message that all have sinned against a holy God and deserve the eternal punishment of God for their sins. It's the message that man is so wicked and our sin so heinous that we are unable to pull ourselves out of the hole that we have dug for ourselves, the hole that is the wrath of God, that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. But the word of the cross is also the message that God had determined to send his son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, into the world to take on flesh to save us. It's the message that only God can save sinners, but that a man must pay for the sins of men. And so God the Son became a man in order to save men. The word of the cross is the message that the perfect man, the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, took on the sins of all who would believe and went to the cross for them. And that at that cross, Jesus Christ was punished by God as if He had committed those sins Himself. That at the cross, Jesus Christ was shown no mercy. And that Christ suffered the wrath of Almighty God at the cross. And that He did so as a substitute for sinners. The word of the cross is the message of salvation through the death of Christ. It's the message of atonement through the blood of Christ, of God's holy wrath being satisfied in Christ, of the justice of God being taken away for all who believe because Christ suffered the justice of God. It's the message that Christ satisfied all of the wrath of God in the place of sinners. The word of the cross is the message of a crucified Savior. It's a message of blood atonement. It's a message of wrath and mercy. It's a message of substitution. And it's the only message of salvation. For there is no other Savior, and there is no other way to be forgiven of your sins except through faith in Christ and his work at the cross that takes away the wrath of God for those who believe. Brothers and sisters, this is our message. This is our message. This is the message that we are to proclaim always to everyone. This is the centerpiece of all human history. This is the focus of the revelation of Scripture. Christ crucified to save sinners is our banner. The word of the cross is our word. We are the people of the cross. This message cannot be abandoned or compromised to be palatable to sinners. It cannot be made secondary to anything else. The word of the cross must be our constant theme. But sadly, this message is considered to be stupid according to the world. As Paul writes in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly to those who are perishing. Now, we'll get more into this later, but Paul tells us that the word of the cross, again, is folly. That is, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to the world. The world being, as Paul says, those who are perishing, those who are headed to hell, who since they are on track to go to hell forever, they could be considered right now as those who are currently perishing. But that doesn't change anything for us, does it? that the world thinks that our message is foolishness. It doesn't change anything for us. At least it shouldn't. Because the word of the cross is still our message. Nothing changes that. No amount of hatred or mockery from the world can change that. So, So the world thinks that the message of a crucified Savior is foolishness, but we preach it anyway. Why? Well, we're to keep the cross at the center because, verse 18 The world thinks it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. That is the word of the cross is the power of God to save sinners. And we who are being saved know this. Why? Because we have experienced it firsthand. We have an experiential knowledge of this. Paul says something very similar in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The word of the cross is the gospel itself. It's the good news about what God has done to reconcile ruined sinners to himself and save them. The word of the cross is the very power of God. And it's the power of God because it is through the proclamation of the gospel that God exercises his mighty power to save sinners. God is pleased to work through the word of the cross, the word of truth, the gospel, that bring, uh, it, it, to bring sinners to know him savingly. Right? It is through the preaching of the word of the cross that God brings sinners forth. It's through the word of the cross that God grants the new birth to his people is what I mean. It's through hearing That God uses it's hearing this message that God then uses to bring people to spiritual life ordinarily right it is through the cross preached that God grants saving faith it's through faith in that message preached that God unites sinners by his spirit to Jesus Christ where they are then justified adopted and made holy in his sight it's through the word of the cross and so the word of the cross is the power of God and we who have been saved, rather who have, be, how, who have believed, know this personally. We know firsthand how this is true. And so the word of the cross is not foolishness to us, but rather has been demonstrated in our own lives to be the very power of God to save sinners because God saved us through it. The word of the cross is the only means, please hear me, we're going to get to this more in a moment. But the word of the cross is the only means that God has promised to bless in order to save sinners. He could do it any way he wanted to. But he said, this is my method. I have appointed my means. And it is the word of the cross. And so this is, since this is God's appointed method and means, it is the very power of God himself. Because it's what he uses to save. But not only that, verse 24 reminds us that the word of the cross is not only the power of God, but the wisdom of God. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This means that the cross displays the wisdom of God. It shows how wise that God is to plan such an amazing salvation for his people. And this blessed me to think on this past week, and I hope it does you as well. Consider this, no human being would have ever come up with the message of the cross. Ever. Ever. Who in their right mind would have ever thought that the transcendent, sovereign God of the universe would take on human flesh? No one. This is one of the reasons why the Muslims mock us is that the idea that the transcendent God would become man. And not just become man for, for, for any old reason, but become a man to save the very same sinners who have offended him. Who, who would have ever thought that God would condescend so low as to become a human being? And if you don't think that that is going very low, then you don't understand who God is. And you don't understand the gap between his creation and him. It's like you becoming an elephant, except you, are, or you becoming an ant. Or rather, an elephant becoming an ant. You get what I'm saying? My goodness. I apologize. It's early. Getting used to this. But an ant becoming an elephant, or elephant becoming an ant, I can't do this right. You becoming an ant. <laughs> Hear me out. Let's, let's focus. This is what happens when I stray away from my notes. This is why reformed people always carry a manuscript. The distance between you and an ant is laughable compared to the distance between God and you. That's my point. And God became one of us. This is infinite condescension. Who would have ever thought that God would do that? Who would have ever thought that the answer to the problem of God's unchanging holiness and our sin would be the cross? Who would have ever suggested that God do all the work to save us and then give it to us as a gift? Who would have ever suggested this? You see, our sin and God's holiness present what is, humanly speaking, an irreconcilable problem. God desires to save sinners, but God's holiness demands that there be payment for sin. So how is that going to be reconciled? How is the holiness, justice, and wrath of God against sinners going to be reconciled with God's mercy and grace and desire to save sinners? How? More than that. Consider this, God is jealous for his own glory and will not share praise with anyone. So man then will not be permitted by God to do anything for his salvation because that would mean that man could then boast in himself. How are all these knots going to be untangled? How is God going to save sinners? The only answer is the cross of Christ Where God himself, in Jesus Christ, dealt with the problem of sin and solved it by himself. The cross is the wisdom of God. No man could have ever come up with it. It is beyond us. More than that, I'll I'll, I'll go even further. For a mere man... To even come close to suggesting that God himself take on flesh and die under the wrath of God for a sinner to suggest that would be the height of blasphemy. What I mean is that for a sinner to suggest that God do what he did would be the height of arrogance. The height of presumptuousness the height of hubris. It would be like me owing a man a million dollars and going to him and saying, I can't afford to pay you, but I have an idea. What if you got another job and worked off my debt for me? You would look at, That man would look at me and say, get away from me, you presumptuous, arrogant idiot. How much more for a man to suggest that God bear the wrath of God that we deserve for us and then give it to us for free it would be blasphemy if man would have even come close to suggesting this only God could come up with this plan of salvation only God therefore the cross is the very wisdom of God brothers and sisters we keep the cross at the center why because it is the power of God to save, and it is the wisdom of the glory of God on display. And so we do not move from it. But we also see in our text that we keep the cross at the center. I think I have six reasons for you. The second one is because the word, or rather, the world will not reason its way to God. Let me read verses 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The apostle says the world did not know God through wisdom that God wisely made things that way. He says very clearly that God has ordered things in salvation in such a way that he has destroyed all worldly human wisdom. And that is because God in his wisdom has made it to where the world will not know him through the world's wisdom. But what what does Paul mean though, real quick, by the world did not know God through wisdom? Well, Paul certainly is not saying that the world has no knowledge of God whatsoever, right? In Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it very clear that everybody knows that God exists, right? You've seen the bumper stickers? When I was an atheist, they really annoyed me. It said, God doesn't believe in atheists. It's Romans 1, right? Romans 1 says that all men know that God exists, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In Romans 2, Paul makes it clear that all men know God, and they know that they've sinned against him because their consciences condemn them. More than that, there are many passages of scripture, uh, like Psalm 19, that tell us that God has revealed himself in creation. That is, all men know that God exists and even know something about his attributes and character just by paying attention to the world that he created. Right? So with all of that said, Paul is not saying that unbelievers know nothing about God. That's not what he's saying. But look closely at verse 21. And there you'll see that, God, that knowing God is juxtaposed with being saved at the end of the verse. Right? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So the knowledge of God here has to do with knowing God in a saving way. Right? So Paul says very bluntly, that no human being will ever come to know God in a saving way. They will never know of the grace and salvation that God gives through the cross of Christ by mere human reasoning. Brothers and sisters, the apostle is telling us something very important here. No sinner will ever be saved by their own wisdom. Man cannot and will not reason himself to salvation. That will never happen. Man, by his own cleverness, will never come to know God in a saving way. The world will not come to know God through any man-made schemes, or religion, or philosophy, or system. Though there are many worldly philosophies and religions and ideas about God, not one of them can save a sinner from hell. God refuses to share glory with man. And so God has ordered things in such a way that men can only be saved by his appointed means. Through hearing the message that God has appointed to be preached and believing it. And that message, again, has to do with the work that God has done through his son to save sinners. Again, brothers and sisters, I hope you see something very important here. It is only through the content of the word of the cross. It is only through the proclamation of the crucified Christ that sinners will be saved. There is no other way given by God whereby men can be saved except through believing the message of the cross. Sinners have no hope for salvation, no hope to avoid the wrath of God, unless the word of the cross is declared to them and believed by them. Notice in, in verse 18, the apostle lumps all human beings into two groups, doesn't he? There are those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And what makes the difference? In this text, in this context, what is the determining factor that distinguishes the two? Those who are perishing think that the word of the cross is foolishness. And those who are being saved are those who believe the message and know it is the power of God to save sinners. Eternal destinies are determined by one's response to the word of the cross. And that is because there is no other way for men to be saved apart from faith in the Christ who was crucified to put away sin. I know you all, most of you already knew that. But here's my point. We keep the cross at the center because there is literally, liter- we use that word incorrectly in our culture, right? We're literally, and you actually mean figuratively. I mean literally no other way for sinners to be saved. So we keep it at the center. God has not given any other way. They must hear and believe. So we must proclaim the word of the cross. Because if we don't, nobody will ever be saved. A third reason now that we keep the cross at the center is because it is what God has given us to proclaim. Verses 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we... Preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, you guys know I'm a hard-headed man, and I like to argue with people. And so I really enjoy the stubbornness of these verses. They're stubborn. Paul, speaking of the people of his day, says that the Jews demanded some kind of sign or they would never believe upon Christ. They wanted to see some kind of cosmic messianic sign, even though that Christ had already given them. Signs. They say, We want more signs, or we're not going to believe. And the Greeks, that is the Gentiles, they sought some kind of human wisdom apart from the cross. And they wanted some kind of worldly religion or philosophy instead of the word of the cross. But Paul says here, We give them neither of those things. Contrary to what the world demands or seeks, we have but one thing to offer the word of the cross. He says, we preach Christ crucified. I love that. If I could call that holy stubbornness, right? It's it's beautiful. The world comes around and says, give us this, give us that. We, We don't want the word of the cross. Give us what we want. And Paul says that our answer is, nope, I can't do that. Whatever you're looking for, I don't have unless you're looking for the word of the cross. Because we preach Christ crucified and nothing else. Whatever the world may demand of us, we have but one thing to proclaim Christ crucified. So many churches want to move away from the word of the cross. And there are many in our area who are like this. They want to move away from the word of the cross and they want to move on to something that they think is better or more palatable to the world. They want to preach self-help or positive thinking or worldly wisdom or worldly encouragement. They want to preach legalism, right? Or moralism, right? A do better kind of preaching. Or they want to preach a Marxist social justice ideology that the world will pat him on the back for and give him a seat at the table. Or they want to preach, hey, go do good works. Why? Because good works are good. Right? Just good works for the sake of good works. So many churches want to preach and do so many different things because the word of the cross is foolishness to the world and they don't want to look foolish. And so they minimize the message of the cross. But please hear me, we will not do that here. Not in this congregation. And not in our private lives either. When someone comes and says, hey, tell me how to better my life according to the world's standards we will respond, sorry, I'm fresh out. We preach Christ crucified. When the world says, give me something positive and encouraging, we tell them, hey, slow your roll here. The most positive and encouraging message that I could ever tell you is Christ crucified, and I will tell you that. When the world says, tell me how to morally reform my life so I can be a better person, we say, I can't do that. But I will preach Christ crucified, who saves wretches like you. And through faith in him, God will change you. Brothers and sisters, no matter what the world demands of us, we have one resounding message. Christ crucified for sinners. The world can demand from us what it will, but we will offer what God has given. Christ and him crucified. Now, I don't mean to sound weak or desperate here, but hear me out. Guys, we don't have anything else to say. Like, this is all we got. We don't have anything else, and that's because God hasn't given us anything else to say. And he hasn't given us anything else to say because nothing else is going to save a sinner. And no other message is going to glorify him. No other message is going to bring about his purposes for the world. And so we must keep keep the cross at the center. This is what God has given us to preach, and so we will not waver from it. But continuing on in our text, we see a fourth reason to keep the cross at the center. It's because the called will hear and believe. Verses 22 through 24. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power Of God and the wisdom of God. To the called. To the called, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. And like I said earlier in the sermon, this is a reference to the message of Christ, uh, Christ crucified, being the power of God unto salvation and the wisdom of God on display. And Paul says that the message of Christ is viewed as the power and wisdom of God by the called. Now, what does he mean by called? Now, hear me out. When we preach, right, what I'm doing right now, or, or in our personal evangelism, we are calling all men to repent and believe the message of the cross, right? They are being called in one sense. But not all men come to believe that Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God. So the called here cannot refer to those who are called to believe the message in a general way. That's not what Paul can be talking about because Paul himself had preached to many people who continued to think that the word of the cross was foolishness and weakness. So the call doesn't mean those who are called in a broad, general way from a human preacher. No, what's in mind in the the apostle's mind here is the effectual call of God, the effectual call of God to save sinners. We give the outward call of the gospel that hits men's ears But it is God who gives the inward call to the heart of men and actually brings people to faith. It's the effectual inward call of God to the heart that takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. It's the effectual call of God that grants the new birth and gives faith. The effectual call is God's work he calls sinners he calls them by name he calls them to christ and he calls them effectively that means that when god calls a sinner to christ the way that paul's talking about here in our text it means that sinner of necessity comes to faith in christ and sees the cross as the power and wisdom of god just as whenever christ told the dead man lazarus lazarus to come forth what happened he came out of the grave Everyone else could have been yelling, Lazarus, come out, and he wouldn't have done it until Christ effectually called him to come out of the grave. And he did. In the same way, we can call to men all day long, but unless God himself speaks the name of that sinner and brings them from the grave, they will not come to know Christ. It is God who makes our proclamation of the cross effective to save sinners. You know, elsewhere in scripture, the called is a reference to the elect of God. That may make some people uncomfortable, but I didn't write the book. The elect of God, that is, it's a reference to those whom God chose to save in eternity past. And the elect are, are referred to as the called because it is those chosen by God who are effectually called by God and being saved. Again, this calling that paul talks about here is based on god's decision and god's time and god's working he's the one doing the calling and god will certainly call his people whom he has chosen to christ now maybe some of you are sitting there and saying i didn't know that this was a sermon on election right and an effectual calling i get that why am i spending so much time on this idea of the called? Well, it's because I want you to see that we keep the cross at the center and do not lean upon our own ideas or wisdom because God will do the calling. If it's our responsibility to actually bring people to Christ in a saving way, then we will, pro- we will no doubt resort to doing anything and everything that we can possibly think of because in our preaching of the word of the cross, we will see that so many people continue to think that it's foolish. And so we will be tempted then to say, well, let's modify what we're doing or let's modify what we're saying. But if God is the one who does the calling, then we change nothing. God will ensure that his people, his elect, respond to the word of the cross. Brothers and sisters, this means that the pressure is off of us. It's off of us. We don't need to proclaim anything else but the word of the cross because it's ultimately not our doing that brings people to Christ. It's God. It's the work of God. So then, why would we ever try to concoct or devise any other message or use any stupid gimmicks or stupid sermon series or anything else to try to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ? Such things are unnecessary at best and at worst are an absolute insult to God's ability to save His people and exhibit an utter lack of faith in the sovereign God to accomplish His purposes. I get heated about this because God does the work. And so we just need to proclaim what he tells us to. The word of the cross. Contrary to modern evangelicalism, know this. It is not our job to grow the church. Throw those stupid church growth books in the dumpster. It's not our job to expand the kingdom. It's not. It's not even our job to save sinners. Our job is to proclaim the word of the cross. And to proclaim it constantly, faithfully, and unashamedly. And then sit back and watch God do the work. Like Martin Luther said, I think it was probably toward the end of his life. Someone was talking to him about all the work that was done in the Protestant Reformation. And Luther said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, I did nothing. The word did everything. And what he meant is God, through his word, did the work. I just said it. The same is true for us. So we will keep the cross at the center because God doesn't need us to do anything. It's his message, his methods, and his power to save. And so we preach the cross. But a fifth reason now that we keep the cross at the center, because we are not mightier or wiser than God. This one always makes me laugh a little bit. You're not mightier or wiser than God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, let me be clear. Paul is not saying that there is any foolishness or weakness in God or God's plan for salvation. Rather, Paul is referring to how the unbeliever views the word of the cross as foolishness and weakness. And what Paul's saying here, it's got some teeth to it, right? It's got some stank on it. He's saying, to those who think the cross is foolish and weak, know this. Suppose for a moment it is weak or foolish in some way. It is God's nevertheless. And the weakness and, and the most weakest and foolish thing from God, if there were such a thing, is still wiser and more powerful than anything men could think or do. That's what he's saying here. In other words, the cross of Christ is more powerful to save and displays divine wisdom more than anything men could ever come up with. The word of the cross is wiser and more powerful than anything the world could ever offer to sinners. And we would say, amen, the world can offer them nothing. But hear me, if the cross is more powerful than anything the world can offer, then it is more powerful than anything else we could ever offer too. There is nothing that we could ever dream up that will ever save a single sinner or bring glory to God. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. As I've said, I've beat this drum all morning. It is the cross that saves sinners. It is the message of the cross that brings salvation. It is the cross alone that brings glory to God alone. There is no wiser or more powerful message that we could possibly preach. And at this point, I have to confess to you, I don't know how else to expound on this. I don't have much more. I don't have much else to say. So, so then since there is nothing wiser or more powerful for us to speak, then let us speak the word of the cross and let that be enough. So we keep the cross at the center because there's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing. Anything we add to the cross or substitute for it will always be inherently weak and foolish and deficient. And we dare not presume to be wiser or mightier than God. And so we will preach what he has commanded us to preach, the cross. But now we come to a sixth and our final reason to keep the cross at the center. It's because we are not here to be liked. We are here to be faithful. Look at verse 18 again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul tells us that the message we are to proclaim, as I've said again and again, it is foolishness to the world. And a little fun fact so you can see the strength of Paul's language here. That word we translate folly actually is the same word from which we get our English word moron. The word of the cross is moronic to the world. It's stupid. To the world the world thinks our message is stupid and the world thinks that we are stupid for believing and preaching it too think about the the best preachers who are the most faithful to proclaim the word of the cross the world mocks them harder than anybody the world doesn't just think our message is stupid they think we are stupid but the message of the cross is nonsense and stupidity to the world but why Well, every age has its reasons, right? And they change as generations come and go. But I can think of a few reasons in our day. Uh, First, the content of the message itself seems to be moronic to the world. You tell the world, hey, God created the world, and they say, pause there, buddy, there is no God, that's stupid. Right? That's what we hear. The idea that there is a God who created you and then look out when you tell them he created them male and female. We'll get ready to duck for that one. When we tell them God created the world and that he alone is God and there is none other, they say, How arrogant and ridiculous of you. And then we speak of sin. Not just this ethereal concept of, of you feel kind of icky for stuff. No, but objective sin that brings about the damnation of sinners from a holy God. And they say, That is ancient are you living in medieval times what is wrong with you we speak of hell and God's wrath and they look at us like we're crazy we preach and I used to mock this one when I was an atheist we preach that God took a human nature to himself and lived in first century Palestine you ever ever put things in like that because that's what we believe I'm not denigrating like we literally believe God became a man and lived in first century Palestine for 33 years That's crazy. That's crazy to the world. We preach that this God-man was then crucified at the hands of a corrupt Roman government. And the world says, yeah, some God you've got there can't even overpower the Romans who he allegedly created. The world thinks this is nonsense. We preach, catch this, this phrase makes a lot of evangelicals uncomfortable, but it shouldn't because it's the truth. We preach a blood atonement. How barbaric. How stone age of us. We preach a blood atonement for sinners. We preach the resurrection of the dead. Right? That this life isn't it. All of this is nonsense to the unbelieving world. The content itself is moronic to them. And so they think we're stupid. Not only that, again, we we preach that your relationship to a crucified Messiah determines your eternal destiny. A man who was crucified in the first century in Palestine. Your eternal soul depends upon your relationship to him. Again, that is nonsense to the world. Let's get a little more personal. We preach the necessity of repentance or you will go to hell. Repentance, that you must break from the world. Turn your back on it and all of its sinful pleasures and temptations. And that is nonsense to the world. If this life is all that there is, why would I make a break with anything that I like to do? We preach that salvation is received by faith alone and not by human merit. And the idea that salvation is a matter of sovereign grace and not our earning is nonsense to the world because the natural man wants to work his way to God and earn from God. We preach the exclusivity of the cross, that it is Christ alone who saves that there is no other way and no other hope. We tell the world it is not one way of many. Listen, if we preached, hear me out. How many quote unquote Christian universalists do you ever hear getting taken to the cleaners? Right? By the world. Like just thrown down and tramped. You don't get that. Because if you tell them, you know, Christianity is one way among many. They're like, oh, well, you're just kind of dumb. Right? But like you're harmless but we stand and say, no, there is one way, and it is through Christ. If we preach that our way was one among many, it would be palatable to the world, but our message is exclusive because God made only one way to be saved. All of this is moronic to the unbelieving world, and they will hate us, and they will mock us, and they will not give us a seat at the table. They will harass us, They will try to chase us out of the public square. They will persecute us. They may even try to jail or kill us, but we preach it anyway. And we do so because the church does not exist for the applause of men. We do not exist for the accolades of men. We do not exist for the praise of men. And so we take the scorn of the world And we continue to preach the word of the cross because we are to make much of our Lord and King who purchased us with his blood. The church as a whole, this congregation specifically, and all of us individually have been saved and now live for the glory of the one who saved us. And so we preach his cross. We preach Christ crucified and we do not move an inch from it God, help us to get this into our heads. We are not here for ourselves. We are not here to be made much of by the world. We are here to proclaim Christ and make much of him, warning everyone and declaring the word of the cross. So we keep the cross at the center because we exist for the pleasure and glory of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. So as I come to a close now, let me encourage you to always Keep the cross at the center of everything. At the center of your witnessing. At the center of your evangelizing. Please hear me. Demand that your pastors, that Stephen and I, never waver from the word of the cross, but always proclaim it faithfully. And write this down. Fire us if we ever stop proclaiming the word of the cross. Remove us as elders and excommunicate us from this church because we have become apostates. If we ever stop proclaiming the word of the cross, keep it at the center. Keep it at the center of this church, at the center of your faith. For it is only by Christ and his cross that you are saved. The cross is everything. Esteem Christ highly in your hearts. And Christian, as I've said a hundred times in this sermon, keep the cross at the center and say with the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, say with him, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word that instructs us, that, that your word that reminds us what is most important, your word that reminds us of what you've done for us. And we stand humbled at the foot of the cross. In all that you would love us, in all of your wisdom to do for us what we could have never done for ourselves, what we could have never even thought up. We stand in awe of the power of the cross, that you've been pleased to save us through the instrumentality of a message preached to us of what your son has done. You are mighty and you are wise, and we ask that you would help us to always keep this message of the cross at the center of everything. Have mercy on us and help us to that end. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake, amen.